All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Learn Fresh podcast. My name is Dick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of Learn Fresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer and the game changer of education. We're super pleased to be joined today by David Gold of the Sixers organization, specifically Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. He comes to us as the chief diversity and impact officer of the organization and really lays out the foundation and the structure and the guidelines for how uh, community work and community impact is executed on from the HBSE standpoint as well as the teams that are a part of the entity. Uh, we'll spend time today talking to David just about A, the role of the organization in the community, what his personal background is, uh, get some insight on how HBSE and the teams think about engaging the community, um, and, and what are the specific programs and levers that they're pulling uh, to, to achieve impact. So, David, it's a pleasure to have you here today. I know that we're super close partners with the organization and, and the families involved with the organization, the teams, and, and it's an honor to be able to share the space and, and share your story a little bit. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Calvin to get started. He's going to dig a little bit into your background, your your upbringing, what really positioned you for the work that you're doing here today, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the organization from there. So, David, can you share a little bit about your personal background and uh, what it means to work for HBSE after growing up in Philly? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, first off, just want to say uh, thank you to Nick and, and Calvin for having me. You know, Learn Fresh is definitely... Um, you know, one of our closest partners, I'll, I, I would definitely say, especially on the, the Sixers Youth Foundation side. And, uh, you know, I think we as a, as a whole, as an organization, are just a, a big fan of what you guys are doing and, you know, really pushing the envelope in terms of innovation and education, especially amid the pandemic right now. So um, just appreciate the opportunity to partner with you guys and, and for having me on. It is one of the real treats and, and privileges and honors in my career to be able to work for um, Harris Blitz of Sports and Entertainment as a whole, but, uh, you know, I would say as a Philadelphian, like the 76ers um, piece of it is, is particularly special. Um, I'm a Philly kid. I grew up uh, in the Germantown section of the, the city, for those who are familiar with it. Um, lifelong basketball player, played my whole life, played in college, uh, and, and needless to say, lifelong Sixers fan as well. So, um, you know, that piece of it is, is definitely something that, that's very special um, and, and frankly something that I'd never really envisioned that, uh, you know, I, I'd have the opportunity to do. I mean, of course, like like most kids growing up in Philly played basketball, like I, I wanted to be an NBA player and like in a perfect world would play for the Sixers. Long story short, that didn't it didn't end up working out that way. <laughs> but um, I uh, uh, I still obviously found myself um, in the space. So. I, uh, I spent the entire of my career before coming over to the Sixers in the nonprofit uh, and philanthropic and, and public sector. So just a, a little bit about me and, and how I got there. Like I said, I grew up in Germantown. For, for those who don't know, is one of the poor neighborhoods in Philadelphia, which if, if you're familiar with the city, unfortunately, like that's saying a lot, um, just given our city as a whole, unfortunately, um, has you know, really high poverty rates. Um, predominantly black neighborhood, although it's sort of it's, it, it's relatively diverse. Um, you know, I was fortunate to grow up in a, in a middle-class household nonetheless, um, and, uh, and went to school, um, at a, a private school called Germantown Friends, which is an elite institution, one of the top ranked private schools in the country, frankly, uh, every year. Um, my mom still teaches, teaches there. Uh, but, um, I was fortunate enough to, to go there and I went there cause my mom taught there. I went there in the nursery from when I was six months old 
all the way until I uh, graduated high school. So that was a real privilege and an honor. Um, but, but in addition to the great education I got at a school like GFS, is it really, um, I, I would say like my entire life, I've had sort of like this dichotomy of like the American experience or the Philadelphia experience for that matter, um, in terms of like what your reality can be depending on where you live and what kind of background you come from. So on one hand, um, you know, walking to school every day, uh, you know, walking through a neighborhood that's that's really struggling uh, with poverty uh, in many sections and, and where I live and spend a lot of my time. And then I'm going to a campus that's in that neighborhood, but most of the students there aren't from the area. Um, a lot of them are coming from the suburbs. You know, I have friends who, uh, friends' houses who I'm going over to who are, that, you know, like live in million dollar mansions, no exaggeration. And, and, you know, obviously a lot of those kids who go to GFS are white and a lot of the kids and families that I'm growing up with in Germantown are black. And so even like from a very young age, I'm sort of thinking like something's up here, you know? Um, and then, uh, uh, I also am biracial. Um, and those, uh, I would say sort of, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but sort of the, the disparities that you see, um, along racial lines in Philadelphia and across the country, I could also see in terms of my two sides of my family as well. Um, uh, so, uh, my dad grew up in a, a, a middle-class household in Westchester, New York, just outside of New York City. Um, my mom grew up in, in West Baltimore. My grandmother um, on that side of the family grew up in uh, rural North Carolina. Um, you know, she, she had to quit school at a very young age to help the family out on the farm. She walked three miles of school barefoot every day while the white kids uh, drove past her uh, in, in the bus. And, um, and, and I would just say, broadly speaking, uh, my family on my dad's side has had more opportunities and from a socioeconomic standpoint on average has fared better than my mom's side of the family. And, um, you know, knowing my family's history, I know a lot of that is just has to do with the opportunities that were presented to them. Um, and, and, and I also know because I know all of them and love all of them very much. There's no disparity in terms of intelligence or potential on either side. It's, it really does boil down to opportunity and you can see how that affects people from generation to generation. So that's a long way of saying like where I come from and how I was raised and, and, and how I grew up and, and community and sort of giving back was something that was instilled in me both at home and at school. Um, I came out of high school knowing that I wanted to do something to give back to the communities that, that I was raised in and address a lot of these disparities that I was really exposed to that, you know, were, were very jarring to me for all the reasons that I, I just mentioned. So went to college, um, studied poli sign econ, um, came out and uh, was fortunate to get a job at a, a, a nonprofit um, focused on program evaluation uh, focused focus specifically on programs that uh, serve youth in high poverty communities. And um, uh, then sort of my career uh, has sort of meandered through the, the nonprofit and philanthropic sector. Uh, before I came over to the Sixers, was fortunate enough to, to work at the city of Philadelphia on a program called Rebuild, which is focused on um, revitalizing parks, rec centers, and libraries, uh, especially in lower income neighborhoods in, in Philadelphia. Uh, and then, you know, ended up at the Sixers kind of by happenstance. We were trying to fundraise from the Sixers when I was at the city and I um, uh, got introduced to our COO uh, and president um, uh, through that process. And uh, when the previous uh, head of the foundation, who Nick knows, um, Amy Heaver, uh, um, left, uh, I got a call to see if, you know, I'd be interested in applying um, uh, for the position and, and, you know, applied for the position, went through the interview process was fortunate enough to, to come over to the, the Youth Foundation. And then, um, uh, you know, we can get into this more, but uh, with the murder of George Floyd over 
this past summer, um, we had a lot of conversations around race and, and its role in our organization, uh, how it affects our staff, our players, our communities. Um, and, and that really resulted in a, a really intentional focus on how we engage with that issue and what we need to do as a company um, around that. And, and that's sort of why my role was created. And, and I, I think I kind of just ended up being at the right place at the right time to, to step into that role and, and help lead the organization's efforts there. What role would you say, I know you kind of spoke on some of this, but what role would you say education played uh, for you throughout your youth and your young adulthood? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, when I, when I think about this question, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is something that I, that I spoke about already, which is like formal education, right? So um, uh, going to school like, like GFS, um, you know, you, you have access to best in class facilities and curricula and, um, you know, and also just like you're surrounded by very high expectations, like everybody who graduates from GFS for the most part is probably like 99% or something like that goes on to uh, a four year college or institution and probably 98% graduate, you know what I mean? Um, and so for me, uh, I was always, I had this privilege of, of being surrounded by um, incredible supports, incredible resources, incredible opportunity, and also like incredible expectations that was just like college was never not an option for me just because it was the norm. You know what I mean? Like it was a, it, 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 for some kids it's, it's an exception because so few people around, you know, around them or from their families go to college for me, like everybody I grew up around from a, from a school standpoint was going to college. So that, 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 that just was what it was. Um, uh, so, that, so for me, like education definitely was like a springboard into uh, being able to go to a great school like Rochester and, and I think really be prepared to succeed there. And I definitely leaned heavily on my uh, academic, um, uh, you know, upbringing, for lack of a better word, in terms of what I what I think I bring to my role at the Sixers from a, like I'm a public policy nerd. So, like I said, I studied econ and poli sci. Um, I went to school and got my master's in public administration from uh, uh, from the University of Pennsylvania. So, um, like I, I think a lot about is it's probably clear, like these big societal, like macro, um, issues and, and how it affects people's lives in a day-to-day -day basis. And like a lot of books that I've read and a lot of classes that I've been in and discussions are, 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 um, inform that, that perspective. I would also say though, that a thing about my educational upbringing that some people probably don't think as much about is not just about like you know, the math and the reading and the, and the English and stuff like that. But I was also raised in an environment, in a school environment, that is where I was around, like, for lack of a better, I'll just be blunt, like I was around a lot of rich white people. Um, uh, and as a result, because I went to GFS from such a young age, like that's an environment that I'm very comfortable in that a lot of people who look like me are not. And, and when it comes to things like, um, being able to uh, like your level of comfort in that environment and like your, your ability to communicate and, and like, frankly, like code switch and stuff like that. Like for me, that's had a real material effect on my ability to sort of like rise and grow professionally. You know, I was, I was in my mid twenties at the uh, one of my, my previous positions at the William Penn foundation, which is a, the, the largest foundation in Philadelphia, $2 billion um, endowment. Um, and I was in board meetings and like presenting to our board chair and like, there's a, there's a, there's a piece of that that's very intimidating, but, um, a piece of the edge was de definitely taken off because 
I saw in them what I saw in like my friends' parents who I'd been around from like growing up as a young kid. You know what I mean? Now, most kids who grew up in my neighborhood weren't really exposed to that type of environment. Um, and, and, you know, I know from having a lot of conversations with, with friends and family, et cetera, like that's, that's an area that, or a context that they may be very uncomfortable. And so when you, when you talk about education, I think it's, it's both about like, what do you learn in the classroom in terms of like, what do you read in books and, and, um, what do you, uh, um, you know, what your teacher tells you, but it's also as a young kid, like where you spend the majority of your time and like the people that you spend your time around. And, w- and when you think about the composition, like the corporate workplace um uh sometimes for 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 a lot of kids unfortunately or or young adults or people early on in their career that's like a big shift and that's very um uh you know um i don't want to say unnatural but it's it's different and it's new and it can be intimidating um uh and so it's um i would say that's like a the role that when going back to your question calvin like the role education played in my life like that's something that I'm definitely grateful for. I wish it wasn't as much of an advantage for me as it has been, just because I think it speaks to larger, you know, like issues <laughs> in our society. But um, given all of that, I'm definitely grateful because it's put me in a position to sort of uh, be in those rooms and be at the table and, and and be able to have a voice there. Yeah, and I I can also relate to that too. My my mother, um, well, my mother and father would always say, "You're going to college," and mm-hmm. uh, you know. I don't care what you think you're going to college. So it was one of those things, you know, where I knew I was going, I was going to college, but my friends in my neighborhood, they were like, no, we're working at Ford Chrysler GM, man, we're getting in the plant. Mm. So it was a completely different level of what folks were going, going to do after high school. Yeah. And, um, and I'm thankful that my, my parents, you know, they, they didn't even push, you know, get all A's. That wasn't the goal. It was, you know, you're going to college, right? And my sister was in college. So, it's, you know, she's two years older than me. So I was like, whatever she can do, I can do that, too. I mean, she's going to, <laughs> I'm going to go to college, too. And then I started to realize uh, you got to learn how to study, too. High school didn't, <laughs> high school didn't really teach me that. Um, yeah. But, you know, going to college, you have to you got, you got to figure it out. You're, you're out there on your own. No, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, I had a similar experience when I went to school, whereas like because I, I went to the same school my whole life, I kind of figured out how to get by just because like, you know, like I knew how things worked. I knew where I needed to, you know, focus my time and attention. And then when I go to school, which is a whole new environment for me and, and, you know, GFS, you know, we probably had, I think I graduated with like 90 kids and I went to, I didn't go to a huge university, but you know, it was like 5,000 people in the student body. And like, you don't have that microscope on you and, you know, you got to hold yourself accountable. You got to figure out, you got to figure out how to study in different ways. And it's, yeah, man, it's real. Absolutely. Now, um, this last question here for me before I pass on over to Nick, uh, would you who would you say um, has been like an inspiration to you um, or anything? Who would you say has kind of put you into the space that you're in right now? I mean, there's sort of like the cliches of like your heroes that you have growing up. And I don't see want to say cliche in a bad way. Um, uh, but, you know, like growing up and, and hearing about people like, you know, Martin Luther King and um, Julian Bond, another, you know, civil rights legend, um, uh, Malcolm X, uh, W.B. Du Bois, um, you know, like those are all people that I, I read about growing up and and really looked at their lives and said, you know, they have, um, uh, 
they had a tremendous impact on, on, on our society and a lot of the things that I've opportunities that I had, I feel like I, I owed to them. So I, I felt this level of responsibility to, to pay it forward and, and, and sort of lionize them in, in my eyes and, and wanting to, to be like them or, or strive to have a similar, similar impact. Um, but I would also say like at a, at a more personal level, um, uh, and just the, the amount of time I'm talking about GFS, you can you can tell how much time I spent there. But um, uh, like the the few black teachers that I had at my school, um, uh, really, really, really like had a profound impact on on who I was as a as a person and and like my own personal and professional development. Um, like love my dad to death, wouldn't trade him for the world. Like he's he's one of my heroes as well. Um, but there's certain things that like. I wasn't going to get from him just because he didn't have the lived experience as a black man. Um, uh, and, you know, also growing up in, in a mostly white environment at school, like I really, really looked up to those um, black teachers that I had that um, I was able to talk about certain things that I didn't really feel comfortable talking about in, in, in other, I guess, with other people. Um, and also just to, to have something to, it's so powerful to see somebody who looks like you and has your own lived experience as, and knowing like I can do that, or I can get there. I want to be like them. And, and they would, you know, they, they really served, a um, uh, like a, a, a played a critical role, I would say, in sort of like my development and, and, you know, where I am today. Let's dig a little bit deeper into the evolution of the organization's education philosophy. So we're going to really center ourselves around education as a community driver and a community engagement strategy. Yeah. And you talked as part of the first question about this this trans, transformation or evolution that happened over the course of this past summer. Can you share just high level, what are the big buckets in which... HBSC and the teams are working to create innovation and drive new and, and, and greater outcomes in the education sector across the cities that you're working, Philly, Camden, Newark. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that uh, I would say predated this commitment and is a um, uh, it, it's included in our, our overall racial equity commitment Um but is the, the work of our foundations. Um, so like Nick and, and Calvin, as you know, um, uh, the Six Youth Foundation, which is, you know, led by our board chair, uh, Marjorie Harris, um, uh, is really focused on, uh, you know, serving youth in our area. Um, and, and, and a big piece of that is uh, focused on programs that are helping them perform well in school. Um, and, and Learn Fresh is one of our, our biggest partners uh, in that respect. So that that's work that uh, we're, we're definitely doing. Um, in addition to that, I would say, um, we are, uh, well, we're also thinking, we've also thought about ways that we can impact the education sector, um, in terms of like resources and, and the experience of, of, of students. So, um, I think that's become particularly critical and we've, we've seen this pandemic has, uh, shown a light of a lot of inequity, um, uh, that exists in our society that I think a, a lot of us knew about, but it just, has become much more uh, apparent and striking. So even things like, uh, you know, we live in a digital age right now, but um, uh, the shift from uh, being in person to being virtual 
you have all the issues of like, you know, kids being um, uh, uh, supervised at home with their parents and, and, and there's inequities in that depending on what mom and dad do for work. Uh, but also just things like Internet access and like the basic basic infrastructure, like having a laptop or a computer, um, which in this day and age in 2020 and 2021, um, a lot of people take for granted. But like we still have a very, very much so like in both Philadelphia and Camden, like the digital divide still still exists. So one thing that that we did as a as a, as a company and, and, and through the, the foundation was um, to make a significant donation to. Uh, the school district of Philadelphia um, to uh, provide Chromebooks to students um, because we know that that was it wasn't addressing all of the inequity that was being created, but but definitely uh, a piece of it. Um, we've done other things around education and um, and sort of like creating a safer environment around things like mass donations uh, and, and things like that. And then the the last thing I'll say is I'm personally a big believer that um, <clears throat> you know. Kids' educational experience is um, both about what their experience is in school, uh, but also what their experience is at home. Um, uh, and there's a lot of, you know, I won't get like all into the weeds and get all like wonky policy on you guys, but like a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, myriad socioeconomic factors, right? Um, and, and I think the disparities we see today in terms of education has a lot to do with the trauma and the challenges that that students are experiencing at home. And it's like really hard to focus on what you're learning in school when you're worried about where your next meal is coming from, where you may be worried about whether you're safe on your walk home from school, uh, going home, um, uh, whether you have, uh, you know, adequate adult supervision at home because mom or dad are working two and three jobs trying to make ends meet. Um, and so a lot of the things that we've done in terms of our racial equity commitment uh, whether it's like supporting black businesses or, or um, uh, investing in community development efforts in, in historically black neighborhoods. Those are like things that are more ancillary to education. But I just wanted to make the point that like all those things have a very tangible connection, if you really think about it, to long term, like what students' educational outcomes are going to be, because that is that is where kids are spending. That's affecting the economic stability of their household that's affecting the quality of life in their neighborhood. And when you improve those things, like, you know, I know for me, when I'm, when I'm hungry, I get cranky and like, I'm not the most fun to be around in a meeting or, or whatever it may be. So when you talk about a five to 17 year old, who's, who has one meal a day and you're asking them to focus and learn in, in school or, or whatever it may be, like you can only expect so much regardless of what type of resources you're given students, regardless of what type of facility they're going to every day. So we I think we think about it from a very holistic standpoint of um, uh, both the like direct investment in education, like uh, the things I mentioned, but then also some of the other things that we're focusing on, because we know that it's a um, it's a it's a problem that touches so many different parts of our of our communities. And and we just want to bring whatever we can to the table to, to help address some of those things. The comprehensive way that you guys are approaching that is awesome. And it's not, when, when we're thinking about the care of children, it's definitely not an either or situation. There are mm -hmm. a lot of factors that influence their experience during the school day, in and out of school time space, at home, on the way to and between both of those or all of those places. If you were thinking about, I'm just gonna dig into this a little bit more. Yeah. Um, if you were in a different team, right? Or with a different team or in a different market, say you were in, Sacramento or 
New Orleans or Minnesota. And, you know, I, I don't know the degree to which any of those places have strategies that are as developed as what you're building with the Sixers, but where would you begin, right? If you had to prioritize one strategy or you had a really limited set of resources and you had to focus on one approach to engaging the community and, and delivering the most impact possible for students in you know a five-year time frame what's what's yeah. the first place that you look to yeah um i so you let me know if, the, if my answer is a cop-out and i'll try to answer differently <laughs> but i'll but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll i'll tell you what my, my first reaction is and this goes back to i think my approach to to an approach that I like to take that's really been informed uh, throughout my career and in, in, in working in and with communities, which is um, so one is like candidly, I'm not that familiar with the the intimate issues and nuances of those cities. Um, and I, I mention that because I think it's so important that we take a customized approach when we're working with communities and when we're dealing with these types of issues. So there are things that um, I think you can like apply broadly in terms of like, okay, here are the basic things that we know are needed to give a baseline level of like satisfactory educational experience for, for students. Right. But in terms of like what a team or company or nonprofit or foundation or whatever it may be in terms of what they should be doing in terms of, you know, regarding helping a specific city or a specific community, I think one, you have to talk to the people that are there and, and, and hear what their challenges are and what their priorities are. And you have to sort of like take a step back and understand the context with it, with the context that you're working in. Right. Um, and so my cop out is, I don't know, but I would say that the process that you should take to answer that question needs to start with a lot of conversations and, um, and a level of modesty, understanding that all of the answers aren't going to come from the treetop, so to speak. There's going to be answers that, that need to come from, uh, the grassroots and the people who are on the ground, um, both in terms of direct service providers and then also, you know, those who you are trying to serve and, and, and are most affected. Because because it's 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 shocking sometimes how simple the answers are and, and oftentimes uh, uh, they have. It's true. That is not a cop out. No, I think that's, okay. that's an awesome. <laughs> that's an awesome answer. And I, I think it's it's so true. It's true to our experience and the way that we've built our work specifically. And, you know, just quick anecdote around the digital divide. We were talking to a contemporary of yours in New Orleans the other day, and she was mentioning how because of the way that the district was built out after Katrina, it's not yeah. centralized, right? And so yep. the digital, the, the way the digital divide appears in that city is really different than a place like Philadelphia or these other cities where there was kind of a, a community-wide strategy to provide access to students at some level in new orleans it's super spotty so like one school could have incredible access to devices and connectivity and everything and then two blocks away could com be completely different yeah um, and i think that's a great example of like because of the infrastructure of the district and the city and the way that things are laid out the approach needs to be so different than in a place like philadelphia so yeah you, your your answer i think is is completely appropriate Let's just dig in a little bit deeper around the, the strategy that you all have built out with Black-owned businesses. So mm -hmm. when we think about education, we often think about students, young people cultivating you know, youth and, and their trajectory into their careers out of high school and college. But education is also a community-wide strategy. Education can occur in many ways, in many spaces for 
adults as well as young people. The work that you're doing to draw attention to Black-owned businesses and, and, and provide marketing support, provide visibility, provide channels within the community to, to generate revenue and profits uh, is awesome. And I think you touched a little bit about the impact um, from a, a young person standpoint, like how that can support youth as they're growing up and build a, a, a more fiscally sound household. But thinking about how you view that in the, in the context of education and kind of the innovation of these other ideas beyond just the classroom or the traditional education space. Um, what's the strategy there? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? What does that mean for the team? What's your ultimate objective with a program? Like yeah. That? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question. So we, um, so just to like provide some context. So we launched uh, a program called uh, the buy black program um, uh, on Martin Luther King day, uh, applications, uh, are open for about two weeks and then we're going to select, um, uh, two to four businesses to partner with black owned businesses that will become, uh, official team partners for the, the duration of the year. And what that means is that they'll get, um, uh, essentially free marketing and advertising from the team. Um, just like our, our corporate sponsors, uh, do who, you know, pay, pay money, you know, for the, for, for those types of things. Um, you know, we, we wanted to do this program because one, we wanted to acknowledge the, um, discriminatory practices of, of decades and generations past that have created disparities among black owned businesses. Um, whether that be lending discrimination, the inability to purchase a home, which allows you to create wealth, which then allows you to, to start and grow a business. Um, uh, uh, the inability to, um, sell to, certain customers because, uh, you know, white customers back in the day would not do business with most, if not any, uh, black owned businesses. And then also like government assistance programs, just like practically weren't accessible to black owned businesses for, um, both explicit and, and implicit, uh, uh, reasons and practices. So we know all of that and we wanted to figure out what are the, what are the types of things that we could do, uh, to help address that disparity that's been created. And something that we know is as a, as a local professional sports team, um, we have a tremendous brand and a tremendous platform and tremendous reach. So why not offer that to some businesses who don't necessarily have access to, to those types of marketing channels? Because on average, Black-owned businesses tend to be smaller for all the reasons I, I was just mentioning. So, um, you know, one thing that we uh, are, are are doing there is as I said, selecting two to four businesses, but then also trying to wrap around other benefits for businesses that um, may not get that primary benefit. So we are partnering with um, local community organizations who serve these type of businesses on a daily basis because like we have a tremendous marketing team, but you know, our team is, is used to working with like Fortune 500 companies. Um, uh, and so we're, we're also working with local partners who like this is really what they do to match up what we bring to the table with what they bring to the table. So they are offering things like um, uh, assistance with for businesses applying for uh, payroll protection program loans. Um, Black-owned businesses were vastly underrepresented in terms of accessing those funds during the earlier part of the pandemic. Uh, they also have some grant programs that they are looking to connect with more Black-owned businesses to, uh, to get that cash relief out to. Um, and so, you know, that's a one, a way that we, again, are, are trying to leverage what we do and, you know, what we're organically really good at to help address a problem. Um, but two, and, and just circling back to education, 
helping to connect businesses with business education resources to help them like navigate that like payroll protection program process where um, uh, if you are a to get money, I know you probably know this um, to get money from the federal government, whether you're a nonprofit or a business is like there's a ton of paperwork involved. Um, uh, and if you haven't done it before, it can be intimidating and overwhelming. And I think that's a lot of the reason that's one of the reasons why you see this disparity. Um, uh, and so we wanted to c- connect them with the educational resources. So when they're not intimidated by the process and can better navigate and access those funds. And then the second piece of this, and this is really important for us and something that we are trying to do and everything we we are seeking to accomplish through our racial equity commitment is also tell a story to our marketplace and to our fan base to try to raise awareness and, and promote empathy and understanding about why these disparities exist, why we've taken this up as a, as a cause, as a franchise, um, uh, and, and really trying to mainstream uh, the acknowledgement of past practices that have created the disparities uh, between the black community and, and uh, the rest of America. Um, so like we had a launch video that, that talked about those things. Um, we have a, a landing page at sixers.com slash buy black uh, that lays a lot of that out. Um, uh, because frankly, we know that there are going to be some, some people and some fans who are going to say, well, why the focus on black businesses? And, um, uh, and isn't that discriminatory in and of itself? And, you know, we, we know why we're doing it. Uh, we we believe it's the right thing to do. We know that not everybody has that understanding or or awareness about um, uh, how we got to this place. And so we also want to use our platform to educate everybody more broadly, you know, about that. The last bit that I just want to touch on in terms of your commitment to community is the level of depth that you bring to the work. So in terms of our experience with Sixers Youth Foundation and the team as a whole, you know, I I think we've always been really impressed with the commitment that you all have made to not only supporting surface level, like let's brand this program or let's, you know, make sure that folks know that this is the Sixers that's running math hoops in the community. Um, You know, let's host a championship event. That's all great, and obviously there's value behind that for the team and, and for the students, too, in terms of the overall experience. Mm-hmm. But you also have made a commitment to funding very foundational aspects of the work, right down to research, right? So, like, in our last grant proposal, we put in funding for a research study, which was conducted by one of the leading independent research institutions in the country, Wested. That's so rare. I mean, there are very, very, very few teams in the country that are willing to make a commitment like that. And I think it speaks volumes about the work that Josh and Marjorie, Allison and David, the rest of the ownership group, you all as, as individuals who are guiding the work um, have to achieving real, tangible, measurable outcomes through your funding and your support of the community. How does that take shape in other areas? How do you think about really centering the outcomes of the work in addition to the brand integration and kind of the promotional aspect? Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good question. And that's an area that I like I can't take any credit for like that. Um, uh, you know, you, the 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 grant that you all have with us was, was made before I, I joined and, and, you know, give credit to to Marjorie and, um, you know, and our whole ownership group in terms of, um, you know, the approach that, that they've taken, as, as you know, very well, Nick. 
Um, you know, I will say that it's something that as we build out other areas of work, we also want to be very intentional about how we integrate that in. Um, uh, you know, I will like I'll, I'll get on my soapbox for two seconds and say that coming from the, the nonprofit sector um, and the philanthropic sector, I know that like funders and, and government, for that matter, always want data and want to want to understand like the impact Um uh, which, you know, as they should, like we're, we're spending dollars to try to improve and change people's lives. And we should uh, make sure that as we're spending those precious dollars, that we're maximizing the good that they're doing. Um, uh, the conundrum often becomes is like, oh, well, if we're spending money on a research program, that's money that could be going to help a student. Right. And, and, and I think that sometimes, uh, you know, funders get caught up in wanting the data, but not wanting to pay for the data. Um, uh, and, and so just kudos to, um, you know, to, to, to everything, everybody that was involved in like making, uh, that grant for you all to invest in the evaluation, because that, that is so important, but oftentimes it, it, it becomes like an unfunded mandate. I, the, the first job that I had that I mentioned when I came out of, um, uh, college, uh, was at an organization called public private ventures. As I mentioned, it was a research and evaluation nonprofit. I actually found myself unemployed after, uh, 13 months out of school because it was it was during the, the the last recession and evaluation dollars like dried up and as a result the organization had to close um, and that just like really like drilled into my brain like that um, it's a uh, everybody wants the data but nobody wants to pay for the data and um, and it's really important that we uh, emphasize the need the, the the importance of that investment. Um, and, um, because we also just going back to the theme of this conversation with education and, you know, the core of education is learning. Uh, we should constantly want to learn what we're doing, how well we're doing it. And what are the things that we could be doing better to better serve the children and communities that, um, you know, that, that we work with and, and, you know, that you all work with. So, um, I think for us, it's again, like not surprisingly a case by case basis, whether we're working with businesses and, um, or we're working with, uh, with schools and, and, and nonprofits um, is that feedback about how things are going is super important. And we're going to use that feedback to improve what we do. We have a, another program that we did called the spirit of small business, where um, as we announced the, the, um, the, the time and uh, sort of like broadcast channel for each game we have, uh, we have a local small business uh, announce that for us on um, our social media feeds and when we started doing that this season, we heard from them immediately and we've been asking for feedback about how that's boosted their sales or boosted their visibility. And for us, too, like it's been um, like from a promotional standpoint, it's also been really effective in terms of like our engagement with our own social media channels. So um, I think there are organic ways to integrate it. I, I'm a genuine believer in the best marketing that we can do is just like by doing the most good that we can that we can possibly do and that the story will tell itself. Um, uh, and so I think these different things that we're doing are, are sort of bearing that out. Well, thank you, David. Appreciate your time today. Excited to share your story and the work that we've done together, uh, the work that you all are pursuing in the community, uh, and, uh, looking forward to more years of great work as we continue to build out our work with the Sixers and HBSE. No, thank you. Thank you both for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. I, uh, so it was just fun to nerd out a little bit on some policy stuff and, and talking about the good that we can all do in the world. So th thanks for having me.
Learn First podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering, editing, and music. The Learn First podcast is part of the Side Audio Network, an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar. The Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation.